Welcome. This is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 69 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is an update on DOJ, or Justice Department, corporate enforcement policies. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, a podcast focused on the legal and compliance industry. Before we get started, two points. First, please subscribe to our podcast and provide comments to help let other compliance professionals know about the podcast. Second, I wanted to mention that my law firm, the Volkoff Law Group, provides FCPA defense and compliance services. We've represented companies and individuals before the Justice Department and the SEC. We have extensive experience in handling FCPA matters, as well as assisting companies in designing and implementing effective anti-corruption compliance programs. If interested in our services in this area, please contact me at mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. Okay, today I thought we would catch up with sort of all the ins and outs and ups and downs of DOJ's uh, corporate enforcement policies, uh, sort of starting with the rollout of the FCPA corporate enforcement policy in 2017, and then leading up to some of the the, uh, more recent uh, announcements, just so we can sort of keep the lay of the land clear and understand uh, exactly how this is being pushed, which I think is a really interest, some interesting developments. So let me take you back in time, uh, and we're not going to get back in time to the pilot program or anything before that, but let's start first with the uh, announcement of the FCPA corporate enforcement policy, which was done in late 2017, where uh, Rod Rosenstein, the Deputy Attorney General, rolled out the new FCPA corporate enforcement policy, and it basically offered companies a presumption of a declination of criminal charges if the companies voluntarily disclosed the potential violations, fully cooperated with the government, and remediated its compliance program. The presumption of a declination uh, can be overcome, however, by specific aggravating circumstances, which include, and here are some of the examples they mentioned, uh, one, involvement by executive management of the company in the misconduct, two, a significant product profit to the company from the misconduct, three, the pervasiveness of the misconduct within the company, and four, if the company is a criminal recidivist. The declination, however, even if you earn it, still comes with a cost. A company has to disgorge any ill-gotten gains from the bribery conduct. Now, if a company does not qualify for a declination, let's say because of an aggravating factor or they didn't voluntarily disclose the potential violations, the company can still earn a 50% discount from the bottom of the sentencing guidelines range, which can be significant. And companies will usually avoid the imposition of a corporate monitor. And we're going to talk about corporate monitors in a little bit. So the key key features here are two. One, a potential guarantee of a 50% discount and the probable avoidance of a corporate monitor. Now, the declination disgorgement result or the guaranteed 50% reduction each create significant incentives for companies to reconsider when voluntary disclosure is appropriate. The balance between disclosure with all three requirements has to be weighed against non-disclosure, remediation costs, and the risk of detection. Uh, 
And I've always advised companies to carefully consider whether to voluntarily disclose based upon the nature of the violations uh, to the Justice Department because there are various considerations that you have to take into account because once you cross that threshold into the Justice Department, you are under the control and influence and direction of the Justice Department prosecutors. So prosecutors call the shots. They determine the violations. I mean, you get a chance to argue, but ultimately they're sort of uh, sitting as a judge and a jury, and they can ultimately negotiate a settlement with you subject to, obviously, back-and-forth discussions. But remember, again, there's nobody that can you know, guarantee you a certain result. The alternative, of course, is that a company can investigate potential violations, remediate the situation, document every step they have uh, taken to protect the company against future violations, and remediation would include firing those individuals and disciplining those individuals who were involved in the conduct, depending upon their uh, precise role. In the event that the department later learns about the conduct, the company, this is without doing a voluntary disclosure, the company can still cooperate and remediate the past violations and argue to the Justice Department that its prior efforts were sufficient. And then you could then ultimately be uh, eligible for up to a 50% discount from the bottom of the guideline range. Of course, the company's investigation has to be robust, has to follow all the leads of potential involvement and culpability, and the remediation efforts have to be significant. The risk in this situation is one of detection, uh, and, if you, and if somehow a whistleblower comes along and reports you to the government, then you're not going to get the voluntary disclosure credit. In the event that the Justice Department has initiated an investigation and the company cannot earn credit for voluntary disclosure, the company can still earn up to a 25% discount from the bottom of the U.S. sentencing guidelines range by fully cooperating and remediating its compliance program. So that was in late uh, 2017. That was in November. In March of 2018, the Justice Department uh, explained that the criminal division will consider the policies criteria uh, as non-binding guidance in corporate criminal cases outside the FCPA context. And that's a big deal. So what they're saying is, We like this program and this policy uh, well enough that we're going to use it as non-binding guidance in corporate criminal cases involving anti-money laundering, sanctions violations, uh, things like that. And that was an important expansion. Two months later, in May of 2018, again, Deputy Attorney General Rosenstein announced a new uh, piling-on or anti-piling-on policy concerning the coordination of corporate resolution penalties in cases involving penalties that are imposed by more than one regulator or law enforcement authority. So this was, and and I don't think it was as significant an announcement because in practice I thought the Justice Department was following this uh, already. But uh, Rosenstein noted that the aim of the new policy is to enhance relationships with law enforcement partners in the U.S. and abroad and avoid unfair duplicative penalties. And in the FCPA context, they had already started to do this uh, in practice. So when the new policy requires DOJ attorneys to coordinate with one another, now within the Department of Justice, 
to avoid the unnecessary imposition of duplicative fines, penalties, and or forfeiture against a company, and further instructs DOJ personnel to endeavor to consider the amount of fines, penalties, and or forfeiture paid to federal, state, local, or foreign law enforcement authorities uh, that are seeking to resolve a case with a company for the same misconduct. So the ultimate effect of this announcement will depend, obviously, on how it's applied. I can see it coming up in sanctions cases. I can see it come uh, where you have um, criminal sanctions case and you have regulators, state, federal regulators who are also involved. You have OFAC who's involved. Uh, so there's a lot of sort of anti-piling on type of concerns there. Um, and you know, it doesn't describe precisely how the policy is going to be implemented or the extent to which parties are going to be given credit for fines paid to other regulators and other proceedings. Um, and the policy also allows for consideration of subjective criteria, such as the egregiousness of a company's misconduct. Um, so practically speaking, it's hard to see exactly what firm guidance there is. All this does, I think, in my um, experience is it just allows the lawyers to make an argument as to why a certain result should come about, and they can cite this policy. Uh, and companies have been arguing, you know, with varying degrees of success that fines and penalties imposed in related proceedings, whether foreign, domestic, should be considered in establishing an appropriate penalty, let's say, before the Justice Department. So now the, this new policy gives corporations the ability to sort of press their argument. Later in 2018, uh, the Justice Department extended its FCPA corporate enforcement policy to mergers and acquisitions. So in July of 2018, DOJ clarified that the corporate enforcement policy also applied to mergers and acquisitions that uncover potential FCPA violations. And in September, uh, DOJ announced that the criminal division prosecutors will also look at these same principles in the context of mergers and acquisitions that uncover other types of criminal wrongdoing, not just FCPA violations. So let's say, for example, in a merger context or an acquisition context, you find out that there has been price fixing going on. Uh, in a violation of uh, antitrust uh, rules and obviously criminal statutes, then that would be um, uh, that would be addressed again under the FCPA corporate enforcement policy. Um, in September 2018, Deputy Assistant Attorney General uh, from the Criminal Division Matt Miner announced the expansion of the FCPA corporate enforcement policy to anti-corruption issues that may arise when acquiring a company. And he explained that it would apply to successor companies that voluntarily disclose uh, wrongdoing to the Justice Department. So this would typically be discovered in pre-closing due diligence, more likely post-closing integration audits. Uh, and would require voluntary disclosure, again, cooperation with the government, and implementation of remedial measures, and uh, basically give people, again, a presumption of a declination and encouraging companies uh, that take over problematic companies to implement strong compliance practices quickly after acquiring the other company. So all of this is interesting because what's happening bit by bit as the FCPA corporate 
enforcement policy is actually becoming the criminal division uh, corporate enforcement policy for all types of criminal behavior. Um, then we got to a point in October of this uh, past year where we refocused, where the Justice Department re announced a refocus on corporate monitors. So in a speech delivered in October 2018, uh, Brian Bechkowski, uh the head of the criminal division, outlined the Justice Department's new policy governing imposition of corporate compliance controls. And uh, the or cor corporate compliance monitor, excuse me. And the Justice Department had faced criticism concerning the circumstances and the manner in which it decides to require a corporate monitor. It's hard to tell what their policy was. Um, some have suggested that the, also that the Justice Department has not been clear about the circumstances when uh, such a corporate monitor would be required. And then on another issue, which I thought was interesting, uh, Assistant Attorney General Benchkowski addressed the need to hire, whether the criminal division would hire a new compliance counsel to replace Wei Chen. And he announced that the Justice Department did not plan to replace Wei Chen and instead would rely on its existing compliance expertise. Uh, and to bolster prosecutors' understanding of compliance, uh, Benchkowski plans to implement uh, compliance training programs on how to uh, implement and how to monitor and how to remediate compliance programs. So in evaluating the requirement of a corporate monitor, criminal division uh, attorneys are required to consider A, whether the underlying conduct, conduct involved exploitation of an inadequate compliance program or internal control systems. B, whether the misconduct was pervasive across the business organization or facilitated by senior management. C, whether the corporation has made significant investments in and improvements to its corporate compliance program and internal controls. And D, whether remedial improvements to the compliance program and internal controls have been tested uh, to demonstrate they would prevent and detect similar misconduct in the future. It's an interesting requirement. In other words, as part of your remediation, uh, have you tested your program to see that it would be effective? The new procedures basically give companies another opportunity to argue in the context of settlement that new corporate leadership has implemented remedial enhancements to the company's compliance program and reduced the applicable risk of a recurrence of any misconduct. So in the end, my take is that the Justice Department will probably reduce the number of corporate monitors imposed in corporate settlements but there will still be situations where a corporate monitor will be required in sort of the more egregious cases. Um, uh, the new policy actually creates, though, real and significant incentives for companies to design and implement robust ethics and compliance program controls as a means to prevent and detect misconduct and eliminate any potential for recurrence after misconduct occurs. Finally, let's get to the more recent uh, pronouncement that came out by uh, Deputy Attorney General Rosenstein with regard to the Yates memo and modifications to the Yates memo. Uh, in a speech that he gave on November 29, 2018, he announced modifications to the Yates memorandum policies regarding individual accountability for corporate wrongdoing. The Yates memo, backing up for a second, required corporations seeking to cooperate 
to disclose all quote-unquote relevant facts, close quote, regarding individuals culpable for wrongdoing in order to qualify for cooperation benefits. So it was an all-or-nothing determination of whether you qualify based upon disclosure of all relevant facts regarding individuals. In practice, what happened is this requirement turned out to be burdensome and companies were devoting significant time in making what were called Yates uh, presentations um, and to, to assemble, companies were spending a lot of time to assemble the evidence relating to each individual, even though there was little chance that DOJ would prosecute many of these individuals. So in light of this reality, uh, Rosenstein announced uh, changes to the policies. He emphasized the, that the, the change in policy did not alter, however, their priority uh, in pursuing individuals responsible for wrongdoing in every corporate investigation. Uh, and what he explained in terms of the practical side, that it required collection of evidence of conduct of every individual involved in a corporate investigation, and it was oftentimes wasteful and would sometimes even delay the resolution of a case. Thus, the revised policy recognizes that investigations should not be delayed anymore and should only focus on, and here's the standard though, those individuals whose involvement was substantial and who are likely to be prosecuted. So, uh, so it's a significant role in setting a company on a course of criminal conduct. That's the real standard. And in particular, DOJ wants to focus on those who authorized the misconduct and what they knew about it. And under the revised policy, in order to qualify now for cooperation credit in criminal cases, companies now have to work, quote, in good faith to identify individuals who were substantially involved in or responsible for wrongdoing, close quote, and disclose that information to the Justice Department. Now, uh, Rosenstein noted that civil cases are different and that companies no longer would be required to admit the civil liability of every individual employee. He said that such a requirement was inefficient and pointless in practice, meaning they had to secure individual agreement they were civilly liable. Instead, companies are expected to focus on identifying individuals who were, quote, substantially involved in or responsible for the misconduct, close quote. So in particular, in order to qualify for any cooperation credit in a civil case, and this comes up in False Claims Act cases, companies now must identify all wrongdoing by senior officials, including members of senior management or the board of directors. Assuming information regarding wrongdoing by senior executives is disclosed, cooperation credit in the civil context is no longer an all-or-nothing proposition. Rather, uh, DOJ attorneys will now have the flexibility to offer some credit, even if the company does not qualify for maximum credit. Rosenstein explained that a Civil False Claims Act case, for example, that in a civil, uh, civil False Claims Act case, for example, a company might make a voluntary disclosure, provide val valuable assistance that justifies some credit, even if the company is either unwilling to stipulate about which non-managerial employees are culpable or eager to resolve the case without conducting a costly investigation to identify every individual who, may face, uh, who might face civil liability in theory, but in reality would not be sued personally. 
So that's sort of the uh, the latest in terms of what the DOJ landscape looks like in terms of updates to the corporate enforcement policy, the Yates memo, uh, the, the anti-piling on policy, and uh, the handling of corporate monitors. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. At Ethical Companies, employees believe in the company, they feel vested, and are more productive. As a result, misconduct rates are much lower and financial performance is higher. We can help you achieve these benefits through an effective ethics and compliance program. You can learn more about our commitment to effective ethics and compliance programs at our website, www.gocoflaw.com, our award-winning blog, Corruption Crime and Compliance, and our podcast. You can always contact me at my email address, mvolkoff at Let us know how we can help you achieve